welcome to the Public Health Networker podcast. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno, and today we're speaking with Dr. Joy Washington on research, community, and health equity. We hope you'll enjoy this engaging conversation as Dr. Joy and I talk about research, how it serves communities for public health, how can we proceed in research that is impactful for communities, that actually serves the communities, includes their input, and also provides actual benefit that they can see and experience as part of that research process. So we hope you'll enjoy this episode. And to learn more about us, visit publichealthpodcasters.com. approaches, it's a great time for us to plan some moments for relaxation and rest. And we invite you to join us throughout the month of July for our Rest as Resistance Summer Workshop. This is a book club, an interactive group workshop on the book by Trisha Hersey, Rest is Resistance. We will include additional texts and public health publications about the concept of well-being and rest in addition to discussions about how to redesign a way of being in public health that is nurturing for ourselves and our communities. Join us as we explore the various chapters of the Rest is Resistance book, discuss liberation, concepts of well-being, and BIPOC identity from a public health perspective. Your registration includes a copy of the book, Rest is Resistance, in addition to a PDF document of text that we'll be discussing. We hope that you'll join us for a month of reflection, connection, and growth. And we can't wait to hear your thoughts on the powerful book, Rest is Resistance. Sign up for our book club today and take that first step in prioritizing rest as resistance. You can find us at publichealthpodcasters.com slash book club. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Public Health Networker. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Joy Washington. She is a community health research and education consultant. She's a host of the Public Health Joy podcast, and she is the CEO of Joy Washington Consulting. Welcome, Dr. Joy. I started to say welcome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. See, I got in in podcast mode because I was like, Welcome. But, yeah. Know. Yeah. We always want to welcome our guests. Uh, so, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about you, Dr. Joy. Yeah. So a little bit about me. Where do I start? OK. So I will say with my public health background, I actually started in the biomedical sciences. So a lot like many of the other public health professionals out there, I, I wanted to be a medical doctor. Um, and it's funny because I was actually talking to my mom yesterday and she was like, do you remember what you wanted to be when you, when you said you wanted to grow up, what you wanted to be? And I was like, a doctor. And she said, do you know what kind of doctor? And I said, a trauma surgeon. Like I wanted to be in the ER. I wanted to be a trauma surgeon. And she was like, you really are working with trauma. Like you are technically a you're you're a doctor and you're working with trauma not a trauma surgeon in in the way that we think about it but you are very much so a doctor working in trauma and I was like yeah I can see that so yeah. so that is 
kind of where I stemmed from. I really wanted to help people. I've always been one who has been of service. I always wanted to help people. And so when I think about kind of where I came from and being in biology, wanting to be a doctor, making the move towards biomedical sciences and discovering research. And I realized, oh, I love research. Like I love the process. I love the analytical thinking. I love having a problem and discovering the solution, trying to identify those gaps and filling those gaps was really an amazing process for me. But the way that I got into public health was that the same thing that led me to the lab and to biomedical sciences was the very thing that made me think, oh, there's something missing here. Because I was in the lab and I was like, I don't understand how this information is going to help people right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I really wanted to transition myself into a field where I love the research part of it. I want to do research. Research is important. But how can we transform that research into positive community impact? Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think that's beautiful. And I, I love that aspect of public health, how we can see the application of it. And sometimes even beginning with that big question of how can we help a specific community? How can we help the community or the public at large? And then working on a research project from there. And I, I'm suspecting we'll probably talk a little bit about that community side of research today. And um, so thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the Public Health Joy podcast. Yeah, so the Public Health Joy podcast was actually started on accident. I tell people all the time, I I did not set out to start a podcast, um, but it has happened. And the way that I started it was I was having some conversations on Twitter spaces. I repurposed them as podcast episodes uh, because of a situation that happened uh, with technology. And after I created the podcast episodes, people were liking them and enjoying them. And so I said, well, maybe I should intentionally, since I did it on accident, maybe let me try to intentionally do this podcasting thing um, and see what happens. And so really my intention with the Public Health Joy podcast is to have a different conversation around public health research and really talking about what does building a public health research career really look like. And I mean, not just, you know, that person that you see on YouTube or on social media, and they just seem like they have it all together. And they just, it just seems like everything they do is perfect. But I mean, talking real talk, like the raw, the honest conversation about all the challenges, all the triumphs, all the lessons that we learn. And also having a safe space to do that. Because I know for me, as a Black woman, there are a lot of spaces that I go into, especially in research, where I have been the only Black person in the space. And I didn't didn't always feel like I had a safe space, a comfortable space to voice my concerns or voice the things that I was going through. And to also have that space to share with other people who might go through those same things. Um, So the Public Health Joy podcast is really this place for us to come really talk and have that honest conversation around public health research and what it is that we need to do in order to see where research meets relationship, Um, because that's kind of the other thing when it comes to public health research or research in general, we tend to think of things as objective 
You know, it's it's about the numbers. It's about the data. Is P is less than or greater than 0.5 is, you know, that type of thing. But when we're talking about what do we want to see in terms of community solutions, we can't talk about research without talking about relationships. And so for me as a researcher, I noticed that we don't talk about relationships enough and not just relationships with our community members, but also relationships with ourselves, uh, relationships with our peers and colleagues, other professionals, other researchers, in, and our relationships with our communities. So we need to start having talking that talk a little bit more so that we can walk the walk. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think that's fantastic. And you're doing a great job with your podcast. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, keep going. Um, so tell us a little bit more about some of the recent episodes that you've had on there. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the episodes that I think is really important, which was my first episode, was with mental health uh, therapist Lamar Lewis, and he is uh, he has Lewis Family Consulting, and we talked about radical healing, and I thought it was super important to just start off this season of the podcast with that conversation because when we talk about public health research, like I said earlier, we don't talk a lot about the work we need to do within ourselves. And before we go working with the community, we have to look inside ourselves and figure out what are, what are the things that are happening with me and how is this going to impact my work with the community? And so, you know, a lot of times we're we're always talking about health equity and building healthier communities and doing all this. But my question is, how can you build a healthier community if you're unhealthy? You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you haven't done the things that you need to do, then how can you work with the communities to help them be healthier if we don't do the work that we need to do in ourselves? So that was a really important conversation. We've also had podcast episodes with, of course, other researchers. Um, We also had Leonora Okwara, who is the um, founder of the Association of Black Researchers, um, has been on the podcast as well. Um, We have also had um, Dr. Jacques Corey Cormier, who is a community psychologist, had him on the podcast. Um, and he talks about mental health and bringing the couch to the community. We talk a lot about community-based participatory research, community-driven research, community-led research. And in every conversation, I ask, if I have a guest, I ask that guest, what brings you joy in your work? Because at the end, I, I know my name is Joy, but I really do care about <laughs> bringing joy to the communities that we serve. Because it's like, what would happen if we approached public health and a lot of the decisions that we make from that perspective. Like what decision do we need to make to bring joy to this community? So I try to make sure that that is a focal point in every episode to ask the guests, you know, what is it that brings you joy in your work? Because because if it's not bringing you joy, it's not going to bring somebody else joy, you know? So we have to make sure that, that we are doing that work. And then the other episode, I do a few episodes by myself as well without guests. So it's just me and a conversation between me and the listeners and the one that I did was on revolutionary public health. And so I know when some people hear revolutionary public health, they're like, what What does that even mean? Like revolutionary and public health don't even sound like they should go together. 
right? Um, but when it comes to public health, we have so many problems, right? So many problems, so many issues. And, you know, they have that saying of you keep doing the same thing and you get expecting a different result. Well, we've been doing the same things <laughs> in public health and we keep expecting a different result. And I'm like, the way that we have done research, we don't have to continue doing it this way. We can do it in a different way that is more equitable, that puts our communities first, that prioritizes our communities, that uh, where our community members can take the wheel, right? And to me, I'm learning that that thought process is in fact revolutionary because that's not the way traditionally we have done or approached public health research. Thank you. Yeah, you said quite a few important things here. You've made some great points. Um, I guess I'll start out with the part where you talk about revolutionary things where we're just trying to be ourselves, like as, you know, community members, as, um, you know, diverse peoples, diverse groups, BIPOC, and so on. We're just trying to bring in our perspective into public health. And for some reason, that's revolutionary, right? Just by being ourselves alone and not being kind of that center of what historically, you know, I mean, there's arguments that Jon Snow wasn't even the first, you know, epidemiologist, right? Right. So there's just so much where, you know, the focus has been based on particular communities and, and not others. And just by us being here in the picture, it's already a revolutionary act just by living in this field of public health alone, right? Um, yeah. And then also, uh, the community-led research part. I think that's a great term. I've been trying to um, think about how best to describe CBPR. So B CBPR, you know, again, is kind of from a more, it seems more typical public health community where it was uh, first, um, you know, named. Uh, but the thing is, when it comes to something like, you know, the autoimmune community, the auto like my nonprofit, ACI, We've been talking about this and trying to find a terminology that fits because CBPR only works when you're from an outside, you're an outside researcher and you're coming in, right? But I love this community-led research where we are researchers too, but we are still part of the community and I was able to do that. So I think that's wonderful. And then um, just that inclusion piece is really, once again, really important to the public health conversation where... Um, bringing these additional voices in, um, you know, I still have, you know, some comment on this where, you know, public health often has this like colonial uh, perspective, this colonial style, like how can we take this, you know, objective in quotes, science to the community to teach them what need, what they need to do, how they need to eat, what kind of, how many steps they need to take in specifically how they should do their fitness, right? And um, it has a colonial tone to it in many ways. So, um, you know, again, just that revolutionary part of us being part of these conversations, you know, when people tell me that their work is objective or it's unbiased, I run for the hills. Like, that's not okay. Um, you're always going to have some sense of, you know, positionality or uh, bias or uh, perspective. There is no... You know, like my English teacher told me in, in, you know, Southern California that we have no accent, that there's no such, you know, there's no such thing to say that. 
But, um, and then finally, I just wanted to add on, Joy, that I love the work that you're doing. I love that you're talking about joy, what brings people joy in public health. And, you know, similar to, you know, John Berwick, right? You're probably familiar with John Berwick's uh, triple aim, quadruple aim, and then also for the Institute of Health, um, IHI, Health Improvement. And um, he talks a lot about joy in work. And it was like this whole thing where, you know, to kind of reduce physician burnout almost like 15 years ago. But that joy in public health hasn't really grown yet. So we have the seeds that are happening now. Your podcast is part of that. You are part of that uh, joy in public health movement. So there's so much revolution that we can continue to talk about. So in terms of radical healing and in public health trauma, can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, And as you were talking, I was thinking about you know, a lot of times we hear about community-based participatory research, right? And I was actually, I attended a workshop of, was it February? Yeah, February. And that's where I kind of started thinking about, you know, we talk about community-based participatory research, like it has always been here. Like, it's just a phrase that we we always kind of throw around in public health. It's, it's, it's getting to the point where it's not, I don't want to say it's loosely, used but we treat it like it's always been here and it hasn't and I start I started thinking I was like what is the history of community-based participatory research like I had never really thought about it until recently and I'm like where did it even come from like where did it start and I started looking it up and kind of reading more about kind of how it started and who started it and I know even for me the textbooks that we have, right? All the textbooks that I've ever had on community-based participatory research throughout my graduate program have primarily been by white women or people who do not look like me. And yet I'm going into communities of people who look like me. And so when I'm trying to apply these concepts in the textbooks, a lot of times I have to be creative and I have to figure out, okay, what, what do I need to do differently? Because I mean, at its core, it's some good stuff, but I can't apply it in the same way because this community is totally different and it's and it's being written. That textbook is being written from a different perspective. It's not being written from the perspective of someone who is a a member of this community. Yes. Trying to do research with this community. So that to me is is almost a form of trauma that I didn't even realize right? That I didn't even realize that I had because I've been taught how to do research in a very specific way, in, in a very colonized way. Yes. Right? So, so trying to go through the process of decolonizing myself, right? I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure out, I'm still identifying the pieces of my story that are very much colonized, and trying to go through the process of analyzing it, processing it and saying, okay, I have to decolonize the way that I think about this and what do I need to do differently? So that in itself is a process of radical healing for me in dealing with the trauma of how I have been taught to do research, right? And even in you know talking about community-based participatory research, that's just the minimum that you should be doing at this point. Like a lot of times people talk about community involvement, right? 
And community involvement is a lot different than community engagement. Community engagement is a step up from community involvement. And at this point, community engagement should be the minimum, right? And then you go into, there's a, a article, I don't remember the name of it, but there's an article where there's a spectrum of like no community anything all the way to things being like community driven and community led. Mm-hmm. And so start, I'll have to uh, find that article. I'll send it to you. Okay, um, thank you. But when you start looking at that spectrum, it's like when you're doing research, giving somebody a $25 gift card for giving up all their information is not community engagement. That is not equitable. (laughs) Like, you know, you have to do more than that if we really want to revolutionize public health. Mm -hmm. Joy, there is this whole initiative and I'm not going to name any names, but um, for $25, they will take your entire genome. I know exactly what you're talking about because I have the same issue and I have been processing that for the past. And like I said, I'm not going to name any names either, but I had, I had heard about it, but I had not really, you know, gotten into it yet. And I went somewhere and they had a representative and they gave a presentation and I was like, so what are y'all going to do with this to create a solution? Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. What are y'all going to do with it? What's the plan? I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just asking, what is the plan to lead to a solution? And there is no plan. And the response was, I don't know. There is no plan. That's a good question. I don't know. And I was like, mm, something, something, something not right about this. Something is not right about this and I was like for me for me personally I cannot see myself going to knock on somebody's door and saying hey become a part of this program and we're going to take all this information of yours and we're going to give you $25 a one-time a one-time fee of $25 and they cannot feed their family yeah or they or they just lost their job or they are going through something that needs a, that, ha, that where they have an immediate need, but you are collecting all of this stuff from them. And I'm like, I don't understand. But yet it's, oh, this is for the community. Yeah. This, is for, this is for a better future. This is for the public good. And I'm like, feels kind of colonized to me. And, and the focus is on underrepresented communities, which is really... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something. I just it's really difficult for me to understand. Yeah. But, um yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the traumatic <laughs> like, I mean, this is obvious. I mean, to some of us, right? Yeah. Like the implications of this. I mean, it's it there is no clear plan, right? Yeah. It's kind of for whatever purpose, whoever. And then like my thing is what I see happening is we're going to get 15 years down the road or 20 years down the road. And then it's going to be, they're going to have all this information and these communities are still going to be suffering. That's not acceptable. If you're going to go through the trouble of doing all of this, then you need to have a solution, a sustainable solution in place. You need to be engaging the communities uh, throughout the entire process. They need to be, in a position where if you're going to collect all this data, they need to not just receive the data, they need to be able to understand the data. They need to be able to have a say-so in the data. I just, and and the concept of a new, also a new phrase that 
I am learning is, you know, we talk a lot about equity, right? Health equity, but there's also data equity. And a lot of times we talk so much about specifically health equity or specific racial equity or specific other types of equity that, that the data equity gets lost when we're talking about research. And so we really have to address the traumas head on, but also figure out what are those solutions and how do we include data equity in it as well. Yeah. Also, like another thing that's traumatic can be statistics. Okay. So I have a coworker that used to talk about, you know, with the MPH, who used to talk about how she would sweat blood. (laughs) She said, I used to sweat blood in my biostats class, you know, and this is real, right? And it shouldn't have to be this way. Um, There is something in inherent in a statistical process, um, learning the methods that causes so much trauma to people. And, you know, I mean, one of the reasons is because a lot of this was developed upon methods of, um, yeah, eugenics. Yeah. I'm keep the word epidemiology, like these other words keep coming, genomics and epidemiology kept coming up, but it was eugenics. So a lot of the statistical methods we have today, the, the foundations were based on eugenics practices. And so I feel that trauma I feel it when I'm learning statistical methods I feel like when I take these classes this like this fog comes over me and I free my brain freezes literally and you know just to hear that from a colleague that she I mean she would she says she sweated blood okay I mean this is something right um what is your what is your take on you know big data um, epidemiological methods and things like that what what have you seen So this is the funny thing, right? I have a whole PhD, right? And stats is part of my PhD. Same. When I tell you, I was like, I'm going to put off this stats as long as I possibly can. (laughs) Same. You know, the basic stuff is okay. But the more advanced stuff, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. Stats is like my weakest area ever, right? And... I was actually in a situation where I was asked at the very last minute, last minute, when I say last minute, I mean week before school starts, right, to teach a biostats class because of this other situation that happened. And I took it on. Mind mind you, stats is my weakest subject. I do not like stats that much. I can do it, but I don't like it that much. And the way that I had to retrain my brain because I had only been taught stats in a particular way. And I said, I do not want my students to fear stats the way that I do or the way that I did. I don't, because I'm still fearing it, even as a teacher, I'm like, but I don't want my students to feel that way about stats. I want them to feel more comfortable with it. And so literally when I would teach my my bio stats classes, we would be singing songs, uh, we will be playing games. We will be, I mean, graduate level doctoral students approaching stats with with card games and playing Yahtzee and, and singing songs and using pop culture references because it should not be scary. Like it should not be intimidating, but it has become made this way. And and I don't know if, it's, if it was made that way to, to keep specific people out which is very possible. Yes. 
but I was like, I don't, I don't want them to feel, I want them to feel comfortable enough with it that they can do it on their own. And it's just, it's just not so scary because, because stats, it feels like a beast. It feels like this big old scary monster that's, that's out to eat you alive. And it's like, but you can, you can tame that beast. Mm -hmm. Take control over that beast, yes. but you have to have somebody to show you how to do it. Yep. And I didn't have anybody to show me how to do it, right? But I was like, but I know what to look out for. I know what to look for in that beast. I know all his tricks. I know. I know his plans. So let me show you how to tame that beast. And when my students left my class, they were like, "Oh, that wasn't so bad." Oh, that was fun. Oh, Dr. Joy made is so enjoyable, right? And it's like, it doesn't have to, we don't have to do things the way we've always done it. We can do things differently. And I think the other thing with, with biostats and big data is the, the level of expectation, right? The level of expectation that we have to do things in a particular way. We have to do these things in order to get it into the journal or get it into use it for this specific research project or whatever. But I'm like, who made the rules? Who made the rules? That's what I want to know. Yeah. But it's also like they say, rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. And they should be broken. You know, um, one of the classes I took in, um, I mean, there were two classes that really opened my eyes during my doctorate and the postdoc. So um, during the doctorate, we took a, a quantitative research methods class. And my professor's favorite hobby was to rip apart articles. That was his favorite thing to do. And he would say, why did they choose this variable? And then they changed the name of it here. And then like, they just didn't even share like statistically why they chose like this one was valuable here. So he would just rip apart articles like you know, and I was just like, wow, these are like well-known authors in like highly value, highly regarded journals where he was literally able to break apart their arguments for their statistical methods. And so it was just like, wow, you know, the things that we thought were objectively like expert level facts could be torn apart and, and, you know, argued against. And then to say also that you can't even reproduce a lot of this research, right? So that was one thing that really opened my eyes with research, valued and appreciated that class a lot. The other one was during my postdoc when we took an ethics class to find that so many research papers, because of the publish or perish pressure that a lot of professors have, um, they would zoom in on some of their data, cut out pieces, mm -hmm. and um, just keep the part that would fit the argument. So we were seeing so many examples of faulty research in highly regarded high impact factor publications. Mm -hmm. It was it was just really eye-opening to see that the foundations of research that we depended on were problematic. Mm -hmm. Yep, I've seen some of those too. And it's like, you can't, you can't trust everything that you see. And I'm getting to the point where in my research journey, in my career journey, and in my business journey, I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't want to depend on those traditional aspects of public yeah. health. I have a manuscript right now from my dissertation that I'm kind of like, do I really need to submit it for a manuscript? It needs to be distributed. Yes. Like I would love to share it, but do I need to submit it to a journal? 
do I need to, is that really the best place for it? Is that really where the solution is going to come from, an academic journal? So just kind of thinking about those kind of aspects of it and what are some things that we can do differently? And for me, I'm just kind of like, well, if it makes it into a journal, but it doesn't help the community, what's the point? Yeah. But if I can get the the research to the point where it is disseminated and shared with the community and as a solution is able to stem from it and it doesn't get into a journal that will really be the ideal situation for me you know what i'm saying so yes. you know but we put so much emphasis on oh you got to get published you got to get in a journal you got and is publishing important yes but does it have to be published in an academic journal not necessarily you know yeah. so I think publications have their, you know, they have their space. Um, there is, you know, this hope that you put something out there theoretically, and then maybe five to 10 years from now, someone is reading it and then they're implementing something mm-hmm. and they've included your, you know, re- your references and your research in there, but there's no guarantee. Right. And sometimes my fear is that I publish something and I don't even know who's, who's reading this, who's really reading my article. So having that control, you know, over who, who's in your research, you know, even at, cause a lot of times people publish, publish the thing and it's out in the wind. It's yeah. whoever, whoever gets access to it, gets access to it and they don't really bother with it anymore. And they moved on to the next thing. But if we're going to be researchers and be in public health, we have to be responsible for what we put out there. And if we put out something out there, that's not going to lead to a solution then I think we need to take time to to question and think critically about what it is that we're here for yeah and what, what is our mission and that that takes some revolutionary thinking yes and I think that's the beauty of public health or mm-hmm. of what public health can be right the fact that this should be something that transformed communities this is something that should be able to be translatable and relatable by communities, that this is something that they trust. And that's another thing with CBPR, right? The, the biggest challenge that they claim all the time is trust, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the issue with some of us. We are in this community. This is my uncle, my aunt. This is my my community that I grew up with and went to school with. I don't have a trust issue. You know, so we have a different basis to even begin this conversation, this process and this method. So, yeah, I like that. Um, I would love to read that article and, uh, you know, create new names <laughs> and new processes, because I don't think that what we what we are thinking about is quite out there yet in theory. I think so much of this is uh, related to public health revolution. This is what we're talking about, creating new frameworks, creating new perspectives, uh, what more welcoming of communities. Um, and then something else we say in the Public Health Podcast Network is that everybody is public health. You know, you don't need a degree. If you care about communities, you care about a certain health condition or a certain um, phenomenon that's happening among any of the social de- determinants of health of all kinds, of any of the policies, you're public health. You are part of this conversation. And I say the same thing about research. I was, I'm like, 
people make it sound like you have to be a part of you have to have a PhD and be part of an academic institution to be a researcher. I'm like, if you're asking questions, yeah, if you're asking questions and seeking answers, you are a researcher. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like, we do research every day, and I'm like, when you're looking up a restaurant, what do you, what are you doing? You gonna you gonna Google certain criteria. Mm-hmm. you're looking for something specific mm-hmm. you look at your options you look at each individual restaurant that that made the cut mm-hmm. you move forward with with the different rounds you're you're trying to fill a specific gap because you want a specific thing right and you do the research on those restaurants and mm-hmm. you do something very similar when it comes to public health as well yeah. you know so even in our everyday lives the things that we research uh products household goods foods the things that are right for your body you know medications you're always doing some type of research mm-hmm. but we have you know what what i have heard as researchers with a big r <laughs> you know those those r01 you know such and such grant institutions academic institutions like we think big r researchers right but that's not the that's not the case like anybody can be there's a somebody out there in their community right now saying how can I fix this particular thing in my community mm-hmm. I know I'm from Jackson right so people have probably heard about the Jackson water crisis um and also currently right now Jackson also has a garbage problem um where the city has not renewed there's been a dispute between some of the leadership in the city about the government, I mean, not the government, the contract for the garbage company, the people who pick up the garbage and they don't have anybody to pick up their garbage right now. That is a public health issue. So when you have garbage issues and you have water issues and there are so many things going on, there's somebody in my community right now, including me saying, what can we do to solve this problem? That takes research. And then actually trying to solve the problem is a whole different step. But you got to get information first to figure out what needs to be done. So, yeah. And we may not call it research. We might call it survival, you know, whatever we want to call it. But, you know, this is important and we're all part of this. Yeah, I'm wondering, I don't think we necessarily need a name for it, but it's almost like that, like the citizen science, right? So it's kind of. I don't think we need that name, but it's kind of what it is. Citizen public health or whatever it could be. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, those are some great examples of, you know, public health trauma, public health difficulties and challenges. Um, I'm I'm really feeling the, you know, the statistical thing. Um, and you know, I'm hearing that, you know, my friends, my colleagues, my classmates, that we all struggle together equally. They've, you know, they were asked to adjunct and teach statistical classes and guess what that's how they learned right Mm -hmm. so by teaching it we're finally able to understand these methods yeah so tell us a little bit more about what you want people to know about public health research I think the thing that I want people to know is that number one research is important research is absolutely necessary But I think that we have to take some time to question, question ourselves, question the processes that we know, question the methods that we know and say, how can we do this differently? 
and do this in a way that we can not only prioritize our relationships with our community, but also focus on how do we heal and look at research from, from a perspective of healing. And we don't always look at research that way. Uh, research can be very much so a healing process. Um, it has been for me. Um, research has is a is a very important part of my life, but it has been construed and we have been conditioned to believe that it has to be done a certain way. Um, and you can say colonized, you know, it's, it's a colonized mindset. And so I really want people to take time to understand that we need to revolutionize public health by rethinking how do we do public health research and how can we do research in a way that is actually going to lead to healthier communities and a more equitable future for everybody. You know, and that takes a different level of thinking. And so and I also wanted to share one of the ways that I started thinking about revolutionary public health is from this book. So, oh, my background. Decolonizing Methodologies. It's called Decolonizing Methodologies, Research and Indigenous Peoples. It's by Linda Tahiwai Smith. Um, and I recommend, especially researchers of color, for sure, but I do encourage researchers to read this um, because it, it talks about how colonialism and imperialism has shaped how we do research and what are some ways that we can do it differently. Um, and so I think it has, it has truly, it has been a book that has truly caused me to think critically and question the the way that research, the way that I have been introduced and taught research in my life, for sure. Um, so I definitely, that is one resource I for sure um, recommend, but I just want people to to think past what you see on the surface. Because when we start questioning and we start thinking about how we can do things differently, that's when the, that's when the real change starts to happen. So I really, I really want us to start thinking about what does it look like to really not just do research for the sake of doing research, right? Or doing research to benefit certain groups of people, but to actually transform public health research into positive community impact so that it serves its purpose well and that we can serve our communities well and that we can bring joy to our communities. Mm, thank you so much. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about really quickly was about that um, statistical process and the statistical methods that it shouldn't be painful to learn this, right? We're looking at how to, you know, the end goal is to serve communities and to help, you know, just be part of the improvements of quality of life. And that study should not be traumatic. That study should be a beautiful and engaging and enjoyable process yeah whatever we can do to to transform that that process is going to be so needed in this public health revolutionary perspective um and then one last thing also wanted to add you know like you were talking about certain types of expenditures and certain types of um publishing re research for the sake of research this is not helping right public health is not benefiting the community is not benefiting from researchers for the sake of research 
the public and the community is not even benefiting from the billions of dollars that have been spent toward type 2 diabetes research, hypertension, um, high blood pressure interventions. These mm-hmm. haven't been working. There needs to be something different. Yeah. And and when we when we actually start taking time to invest into our public public health infrastructure, not just our healthcare infrastructure, but our public health infrastructure to really focus on what is prevention, what is equity across all landscapes, platform dimensions. Um, you know, when we start thinking about it that way, I think that that's also where that change will come into play. But but we also can't rely on starting from the top. And when I say the top, I mean the government. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. we can't we can't rely on them getting us to that point. We're going to have to do it from the ground up yes. and figure out what does it mean to, to do it for ourselves and yes. to be self-sufficient in making that work. Because as long as we depend on the the people who are in power, in political power, decision making, those types of things, it'll never get done. It'll never get done. So we have to be more creative creative about it. Absolutely. We need to be more creative about that. And then also, like you mentioned, you know, we need public health joy. We need you. We need your podcast. We need joy in public health. We need a joyful workforce. We need the process of public health and the activities and the goals and the objectives and methods, the vision and the mission to be embedded in a joyful practice. Otherwise, we won't be able to effectively serve the people that we love and care about. Thank you, Joy. How can people connect with you and learn more? Yeah, lots of ways to connect with me. So uh, I am on LinkedIn, uh, Joy Washington. You can just look me up, I'll pop up. Um, you can also connect with me on Instagram as well. So at Joy Washington on Instagram. Um, I am also, I was going to say email. Email will be, I have a Facebook, but uh, it's not really, I'm not really on there like that. Um, so I would say email will probably be the next best way to reach out. So info at joywashington.com. Uh, will be the next best way to reach me. And then also, if you want to listen to the podcast, the Public Health Joy podcast is available currently on Apple Podcasts and also Spotify. So those will be the different ways to reach out to me for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation, Joy. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being you. Thank you for having me and thank you for supporting me being me and providing a space for me to authentically be myself.